2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Amen, dear saints. We are named among the children of God by grace through faith in Jesus, and we're entering a remarkable section of Second Corinthians today. And before we do, let's pray. Father, thank you that you name us, your own children, as brothers and sisters of Jesus, as members of his church, baptized into him. <clears throat> making our vows. We're thankful for our amazing youth in this congregation that you raised up and will use in the future. We thank you for Christ, the promise of God, which has carried us all the way down to 2023, and he will throughout all eternity. He will not be thwarted. And we thank you that he is our great king. Feed us, Jesus, today. I pray, we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. I think that today's text encompasses my favorite individual verse in all of 2 Corinthians, and that is verse 20. As a matter of fact, a very strong argument could be made that verses 19 through 22 are the key verses for the entire book of 2 Corinthians. And as we discussed last week, how that came about that Paul even wrote this is rather remarkable, and we'll make even another notation about that later in the sermon, Lord willing. So what's the reason for all this exuberance over verse 20 and this section? It's the absolute centrality of Jesus Christ as the promise of God, the one that he always had promised, the one who was the promise of the seed in Genesis 3:16, where the seed of the woman would crush the seed of Satan. He, Jesus, would crush Satan's head, even though Satan would strike his heel. We have the promise of God in Jesus Christ. Now, granted, all the scriptures do the same thing. All of them, when properly understood, are directing us to Jesus, ultimately, as the promise of God. But not always this lucidly, clearly, as we see in this pristine passage here today. Christ, the second person of the Blessed Holy Trinity, the one who became Jesus Christ, the God-man, is not only the word of God and the wisdom of God, he's also the fullness of God, the image of God, the expression of God's complete love, and the entire treasury of all the promises of God. The triune deity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the only God that exists, makes no promises to anyone at any time, under any conditions, aside from his Son, Jesus Christ, the church's head, Lord, and King. God does nothing except through his Son. Everything runs through him. 
And therefore, let us make it our goal this resurrection day to trust and love the Trinity through Christ, the promise of God. Looking together at 2 Corinthians 1, 19-22, Christ, the promise of God, the doctrine. Jesus Christ is the personal depository of all God's glorious promises. Now, the word personal here is very important. Jesus Christ is not the key holder to the treasure chest of God's goods. He is not either the sterile propositional concept of or the one behind God's promises. Jesus Christ is the promise of God. All the promises of God find their yes and amen in him. In his own person, he is the embodiment of all these promises. And because of this, lovers of God in Jesus Christ possess all the hope and every other good thing in the world. You people who know and love him have everything imaginable of any good whatsoever. Let us thoroughly revel in the fact that Jesus Christ is the personal depository of all God's glorious promises. First, all God's promises in Christ are enthusiastically affirming. And notice this modifier, enthusiastically. You know, we live in a, in a world that thinks it's all about affirming. Well, it doesn't affirm anything of value outside of Jesus Christ. But God, the true God, is truly affirming. And he communicates this enthusiastic affirmation by Paul's two employments of the word yes in verses 19b and 20a. God, our Father, to put it in human terms, is more anxious to bless us in Christ than we are to receive his blessings. Have you ever talked to someone who loves you, and you're having a communication with them, and you're getting ready to make a request of them, and they say yes before you ever get the question out of your mouth. Yes. That is how ready God is to say yes to you, faithful church members, who love God in Jesus Christ, despite the fact that you still sin, you still struggle, that every once in a while you're reminded that in your own flesh in your own self aside from Christ you're nothing but a pool and sea of iniquity and putridity and yet in Jesus Christ you are absolutely loved and cherished and he gives you every good thing God our father is in heaven the throne of grace his son is at his side the Holy Spirit is glorified with them and they are ready to say yes to us right now If only we could always get our affections in line with God's grace and wondrous provision in light of our own legitimate needs in this world. That's a real challenge for us. It really is. And our our sins beat us down, but we should not be discouraged. We should approach this God boldly and seek in Jesus Christ every good and perfect gift. Why are we afraid to approach the throne of grace? Well, sin, sloth, blindness, the flesh, bad theology, confusion. But none of those things should stop us. We should boldly approach God, our Father, 
in Christ Jesus the promise of God and receive all of his blessings, all of them. Let us go to our good Father and hear him say yes to our petitions in the person of his Son. All God's promises in Christ are enthusiastically affirming, and all of them, when applied in Christ, can redeem the most broken and wretched sinners. How badly bruised and beaten are we? What kinds of spiritual and moral contortions have we put our hearts and minds through? And even if it is the case that this is less true of us as we grow in our love for God in Christ, Lord's Day to Lord's Day as his church, and make real progress in sanctification by the grace of God, it is still certainly true of everyone that we know and care about who is outside of Jesus, his gospel, and his church. Every moment of their lives, they are twisting and perverting and contorting themselves in ways trying to find meaning because they're created in the image of God. And they can never find rest until they find it in Jesus alone. Are these people, or we ourselves perhaps, beyond hope? No. Is there no way for these lives to be redeemed, beautified, dignified, honored, or brought to a state of sanctified sanity in Jesus Christ? The answer in this case is a profound and exuberant no. Why? Because all the promises of God are yes in Jesus. All of them for anyone who will have him. The banquet of this glorious, beautiful, transcendent, resplendent, Jesus Christ, our Lord and King. No sin, no sinner, no spiritual or moral or any other kind of calamity is beyond his control, his power, his purview, his blessing, his salvation, his provision. All of it is here and now for us. Here and now for us in Christ Jesus, who will love him, submit to him, Accept the ordinary, simple things of his church, by which we receive him, him alone, and not extras. All of this blessing is in Christ Jesus, but in him alone. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. If you want a vivid illustration this afternoon, go home and read about the Corinthians in their pre-Christian state sometime from 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, listed on your outline. And you'll see right there some amazing work of God in the first century, just like he does it in the 21st century. Jesus Christ is the personal depository of all God's glorious promises. Now from this amazing text, let us marvel at the wonder of Christ, the promise of God, from verses 19 to 22 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Once we come to comprehend just who Jesus Christ is, everything in our lives change, and they all change for the better, as long as we're incorporating this knowledge in faith. You know, dears, that Satan's entire project in the world is to seek to blind you or block you from a view of this glorified, beautiful person of Jesus Christ. He knows that if you get a glimpse of him, Satan and his kingdom has no attraction to you anymore whatsoever. Or you may, in in ways, trip into it and fall back. That's what's called sin. But you will never want it. 
He knows that if he can blind you, and we'll speak about how he blinds unbelievers from the glorious gospel. But those of you who have the scales removed, the veil taken off, you see him in his glory, and you love him. You can't help but love him. He is the resplendent, magnetic, love-personifying Savior. Consequently, let us seek to better discover just how we get a glimpse of this Redeemer, even as we rejoice in the wonder of Christ, the promise of God. First, he is made known through gospel preaching. Verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. Now, granted, the main thrust of verse 19 is this concept of Christ being yes, always. That's granted, but we'll be able to focus on that with plenty of of wonder in verse 20. And before we leave verse 19, we don't want to miss a subordinate but very critical feature of that verse, And this has to do with the fact that Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy went to Corinth and proclaimed, quote, proclaimed Christ among the Corinthians. And as a result of this, in this corrupt, immoral, perverted city, renowned for its wickedness, in the midst of this place, God assembled a church replete with elect people, and made them the congregation of the Lord. To say it a different way, the pertinent question is this, how did the sinners in Corinth ever come to know this glorious Lord Jesus Christ and be turned from their pollutions and their sins and their idolatries and their immoralities? How was this possible? How did they come to know and understand the glorified, personified fulfillment of all God's promises. What's the answer to that, dear Redeemer saints and friends? The faithful preaching of the gospel of God's free grace in Jesus Christ, by which he calls his elect to himself and creates congregations made of real saints who are still sinners. That's how it happens. Keep that in mind as you think about your church's future. The ordinary means of grace. That's what you need. You don't need other things. How are we going to know, grow in, and better love God in Christ? How are you? Get this. Through the ordinary means of grace called gospel preaching. Here's how the same apostle put it in 1 Corinthians 1.21, and I quote, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. You understand how important this ministry is and what it means for you now and in your future. The wonder of Christ, the promise of God. He is made known through gospel preaching, and he fully satisfies the heart that loves him. Verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. 
That is why it is through him, Christ, that we utter our amen to God for his glory. What a lovely text of Holy Scripture. Does it get any sweeter than that? You see why we would love that verse. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ our Lord. Think about that expression and what it means for a few moments, dear. Just give this one a little bit of thought. Now, the promises referenced here are all principally the Bible's positive promises. Now, you understand God makes lots of promises, and not all of them are positive. He also promises that in light of his holiness and righteousness, he will do the right thing in every case with every human being and all angels and everything else that are created through the word of God, Jesus Christ the Lord. But these are principally referencing the Bible's promises that are positive, every single one of them. Who knows how many gracious promises there are in the Bible? I'm very wary and leery of adopting anybody's count. Okay, Somebody might say, well, there are 365 gracious promises in the Bible, one for every day. Really? I suspect there's three times that many if we really understand what we're reading. So just be aware, all of them are yes in Jesus. And it's no wonder Paul finishes out this astounding verse 20 with these words. That is why it is through Christ that we utter our amen to God for his glory. How does anyone wrap one's heart and mind around these things in this glorious Redeemer? How is it possible? How do we get our hands on this wonder. It's got to be by faith, trusting God to incorporate it into us as much as we're able at our place in sanctification, wherever we are in our Christian development, to constantly bring into Jesus, into our hearts, the Lord Jesus Christ, communicated in this amazing verse of Holy Writ. Before we leave verse 20, though, which is hard to do, I mean, we could camp on this one a long time, let us again celebrate this amazing fact that all God's promises are yes in Jesus. That's amazing. What is your need today? What's your desire? What's your hope, your dream, your aspiration? What is it? So long as it is wrought in and tied to love for God in the person of the promises that are all yes, Jesus Christ, let us attach those things to God and his promises in Christ, which are all yes in our blessed Messiah. And it's also fascinating to note, even as one of our dear elders like to emphasize, that in this one verse 20, God says yes to us, and we say Amen to him. Isn't that wonderful? God says yes to you. You say amen to him. All in Jesus. The wonder of Christ, the promise of God. He is made known through gospel preaching. Very important. He fully satisfies the heart that loves him. And finally, he unites his gifted and forgiven church to the Holy Trinity. Verses 21 and 22. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. 
Now, these two verses are really expressing a lot of covenantal and sacramental language, and it's instructive for us to note that Paul links himself and his ministry presbyters to the Corinthian church in verse 21a, which is to say a lot, given what he will say and write in the verses that follow, although I will tell you they're very positive. They actually come out very encouragingly, as we'll, Lord willing, discover in the next uh, few weeks, although not next Sunday, of course. Now, there's an incredible irony, and I mentioned it last week, and that is that Paul's change of travel plans. So he had planned to go, and I'll explain this in two weeks, okay? I had to do the homework on it myself, and I'll... I'll I'll flesh this out for you, Lord willing, in two weeks, the whole thing about his plans, the books, the writings, the letters, everything. But his change, he did make a change in travel plans. He acknowledges it. Some people wanted to criticize him for that and say, well, he's wishy-washy, you can't trust him, you know, you're not sure what you're going to get, all that kind of stuff. None of which was true whatsoever, completely wrong. But... The fact that those things happened led to the penning of those two great verses we just studied, 19 and 20. And I said that last night. Isn't that amazing that the sovereign God would give us those wonderful verses out of the context of the messy foolishness of some people trying to be mean to the great faithful apostle Paul? Only God could do that. Some of the most extraordinary texts to be found anywhere in any part of the holy book. And then to put the icing on the cake, we get verses 21 and 22, which we're looking at now, which affirm the Holy Spirit's sealing of us into Jesus Christ and his holy church. Now, I see at least four stupendous blessings on us in these two verses, 21 and 22. And in brief, here they are. First, God cements us to Christ in each other with the word establishes. Secondly, God's anointing, quote-unquote, baptizes us into Christ and cleanses our souls through the Spirit's application of Jesus' atonement on our behalf as the Spirit applies the atoning blood merits of Jesus and his resurrection to us. Thirdly, God identifies us as his own, again, through the, quote, seal of his sacraments, Baptism and the Lord's Supper, the two sacraments of the church. And lastly, God inhabits us corporately and individually via the blessed Holy Spirit's residence in and amongst us, as we see at the end of verse 22. So Jesus Christ, now, dear saints, is the vortex between the infinite and eternal God and the entire created realm. Think of that. You've got God, you've got creation, and it all meets at the second person, the divine Logos, the Word of God, Jesus Christ, through whom God created the world, and everything is being subjected to him even now. And through regenerative faith that's given to us by God in Christ, we go through that opening. We go through that space, if you will, where God and the creation meet in the person of the God-man who became incarnated, we go through him and enjoy the fullness of life with the Holy Trinity and the church on earth and in heaven, especially on Sundays in these worship services, all through Jesus Christ, the promise of God. As always, let's do some very exciting application.
and comprehend why Christ is the promise, why Christ the promise of God is the only one we need. You know, dears, what good would even the promises of God be if they were not completely and personally tied to Jesus Christ? Answer, they would be no good at all. As we possess Christ by a living faith leading to growing love, we have everything. If we lack Christ, we have nothing, and our lives are thoroughly empty. All of this helps explain why Christ, the promise of God, is the only one we need. First, because he is the sole template for all of creation, S-O-L-E, the only template, template, the model, the pattern, the one through which it all comes. So central is Christ to the universe God created that it, the creation itself, cannot even be conceived of aside from him. So all the atheists, all the people that talk about the creation, and all the Christians and the theists and everyone else, whether they realize it or not, they can't even think about this creation without Jesus Christ being at the very heart and center of it. Everything comes from him, points to him, and is even now being subjected to this glorious King, Lord Jesus Christ. And the center stage for all the drama of creation, especially as it is in its fallen state, was 2,000 years ago at the cross and resurrection of our glorious Messiah. Not the creation, not the eternal state, not the judgment day, not the pre-created time, well, no time, but the eternity before time. None of that is central. Central is this, the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As great as it is to think about the Messiah, the second person of the Holy Trinity, doing the grand spectacle of his role in creation, it's even more spectacular for us to consider his redemption of his elect church. Creation is the work of God's fingers, according to the scripture. Redemption of lost, dead, rebellious, in themselves hopelessly decrepit sinners like us is the work of God's strong, mighty arm. And that is a beautiful thing. All the promises of God are yes in Jesus all of them are treasured in the person of Christ, and all of them direct everyone to the person of Christ. Those who come to God through Jesus Christ by faith, a living, regenerative faith, will, according to the Apostle Paul in Romans 9.33, not ever be put to shame. That's a beautiful thing. Why Christ, the promise of God, is the only one we need, because he is the sole template for all of creation, and nothing possesses any reality, let alone fulfillment, apart from him. Do you comprehend, dear saints, that the Holy Scriptures clearly teach that there is no reality apart from Jesus Christ? You might think, oh, pastor, that sounds like high-blown, flown philosophy or something. It really isn't. It's important doctrine. There isn't anything that really exists apart from Jesus Christ. All God's creation came through him. And all the creation is good. 1 Timothy 4.4 4. God created everything good. All of it because it came through him. Do you understand, dears, 
that all truth, fulfillment, purpose comes from him. Do we grasp this? More importantly, do we believe it? Everything you do, everything you think, everything you believe is to be centered on Christ. And as you do this by grace through faith in him alone, and love for the three persons of the Holy Trinity, your life, dears, listen, may achieve its highest potential in Jesus Christ. Each of us are different, but every single one of us, if we will attach ourselves fully to this grand, glorious Christ in whom is all the promises of God, yes, may achieve the highest level of who we could ever be in this world in and through him. You will have a clean and clear conscience, despite the fact that you know yourself to still be a sinner who needs this grace every Lord's Day and throughout the week. You need Jesus. And you will never, ever be under the condemnation of your sins or the world's judgment of you. It has no effect on you whatsoever. You are free from, you are free people. You may be as free as you want to be, completely liberated in Christ, the promise of God. What's necessary for all of this glory to be ours? Saving faith in Jesus' bloody atonement for us on his cross and the justification he sealed for his elect church and his resurrection. All the promises of God are yours if you will receive them by grace through faith in love for God through Jesus Christ, who is yes. All the promises of God are yes and amen in him. Beloved, Christ, the promise of God, is everything. Let us always bless the Father for Christ, the promise of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Christ, the promise of God, the great and glorious one. Thank you that we can live on words like this for a whole week, just 45 minutes of them or whatever it was that you provide. We can do it because Christ is sufficient. He is the bread of life. We eat him his flesh and drink his blood through our ears and through our mouths on the Lord's Supper table. We thank you for Christ, the promise of God. All the promises are yes in him. We bless you for him. And thank you for this text of Holy Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen.